This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prane, Merrick Scopel, Jared Mack on this Friday edition to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Or maybe you're listening to it Saturday morning in the Autzen parking lot. And if you are, happy game day. Uh, Oregon Ducks, number 25 in the country. One and one on the season, taking on visiting BYU Cougars, currently ranked number 12 in the country at 2-0. Uh, oh. This is the first meeting between these two teams since Oregon played BYU in 2006 in the Las Vegas Bowl, a game that I think changed the entire trajectory of the Oregon football program because they got destroyed 38-8 to in the Vegas Bowl. Mike Bellotti made sweeping changes to the program, brought in uh, a man named Chip Kelly, and I think we know what happened after that. Uh, last time these two teams played in Eugene, though, 1990. Uh, I don't think Jared was born. I think Eric no. was maybe, what, one two year or one? One, year, one years old. I was four. Um, so long time since these two teams met in – Eugene and in the regular season, Oregon won that game 32 to 16. Uh, the current game will be 1235 kickoff from Austin stadium on Fox. Uh, Jason Benetti, Brock Heward and Allison Williams will be on the call. Um, Oregon goes into this one with, I think both it, it's football injuries are starting to mile, you know, pile up for both teams uh, and teams across the country for Oregon. They're dealing with some, Big ones. They're also potentially getting some guys back. And let's start with Justin Flo. We didn't see him at practice on Tuesday. We talked about it on the show on Tuesday. Um, this is our first opportunity to talk about it since he was back at practice on Wednesday. So looks like crisis averted there. Yeah, and we should note not a full participant, but partial participant. Did a lot of individual drills when they went full contact. He did not take part on Wednesday. Who knows what happened Thursday and then Friday. So I think that's all very positive, headed in the right direction. Um, maybe he isn't able to play a 100% snap count. I don't know. But um, there was certainly a sense of, oh my gosh, again, every year, Justin it plays great for a couple of games and gets hurt and then you lose him for the season. So Somewhat of a crisis averted here. Let's hope it's not something that lingers throughout the season and slows him down. Very much good news on Wednesday. Yep, very much good news for Flo. Um, other injuries, just Ryan Walk came back. I, we reported that on Tuesday as well. Uh, looked to be a full participant. I mean, he was in practice last week, but um, suited up for pregame warm-ups for the Ducks against Eastern Washington. But then when the team actually came out for the game, um, he was dressed down into street clothes and his jersey. Um, Jordan James... Looked to be a full participant in practice on Wednesday, the last time we were able to see. 
Um, Dan mentioned that he did not, Dan Lanning, excuse me, didn't mention that he did not play against Eastern Washington because of some nagging foot thing. Um, he looks like if Oregon needs him as a fifth running back or if they like him more than another guy, I think he's he'll be good to go this weekend. Uh, Andrew Boyle is another guy who is normally Oregon's kickoff dude, but uh, Camden Lewis took over for him against Eastern Washington. Uh, it seems that there was an injury with Boyle, but it, it looked like he was – participating um i don't have a hundred percent clarity if he were if he was fully healthy to go and potentially be oregon's kickoff specialist again this week um i think we'll find out come game day it's a little harder to predict with kickers than it is for other position groups um, um but dan dan indicated he was good yeah dan yeah i just take that with a grain of salt because dan also indicated that brian walk was good for last week so it's, but I'm just, just, just yeah. giving context for listeners who might not have seen the video Right. And then um, Seven McGee was another guy that we touched on in the podcast, but he looks to be healthy going into this week. I think that was um, that was also what Dan said at, at the press conference. And then lastly, uh, Stephen Jones was not at practice on Wednesday again after not seeing him on Tuesday. Um, that led to some shuffling in the offensive line, which you can read in our in our latest practice report, which you'll have to scroll back a bit because it was on Wednesday. But a um, little bit of shuffling there. And I think that's it for injuries. I don't know yeah. if I'm missing one more. I think that's it. I'm not expecting Stephen. I'm not expecting Stephen Jones to play. If he didn't practice, no. he wasn't at Tuesday. He wasn't at Wednesday. Um, we mentioned it. He was on crutches on Tuesday. We did see him there. Uh, not a good indication that he'll be available. Oh. And I, I don't. Do, do we want to jump into kind of what the possibilities might be, Matt, in terms of replacing? Yeah, him? I think. I think just maybe just the the ramifications of this. I mean, this is one of their most experienced guys, and I don't have the rosters in front of me, but my thought would be, you would know this, the heaviest offensive lineman that they have against a pretty stout D-line too. Yeah, that's the part that is, I think, somewhat troubling is is not necessarily because, again, I think if you go look at, at the PFF grades, Stephen Jones has not played very well so far in what, amount, what amounts to basically one and a half games. He didn't play in the second yeah. half against Eastern. Um, he's had some kind of rough moments, had a, had a couple of false starts in particular against Georgia, but also I just don't know if he played very well, even if even if the play started um, adequately. Are you pulling up the roster to see the weights there, Jared? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I, I, I believe that's correct because the thing with him, it's, it's hard is he and Sala have uh, their weights have gone up and down, up and down over the last couple of years. And at one point, Sala was like 20 pounds heavier than Jones and the vice versa. So I don't actually know off the top of my head this year's weights, but no, I think that's significant. And then in terms of in terms of what um, the fallout might be, I thought it was notable at Wednesday. We mentioned Ryan walk back at full as a full participant after missing the Eastern game in the second half of the Georgia game. Walk was working at right guard along with Jackson Powers Johnson, um, and Marcus Harper was at left guard along with Dave Iuli during a couple of drills we watched. So I'm kind of wondering if we're going to see Harper stay at left guard where he started against Eastern, by all accounts, played pretty well, and we'll see Ryan Walk at right guard. Um, the only reason I have any maybe possible pause on that is – those are smaller players. Like Jackson Powers Johnson is bigger than both Ryan Walk and Marcus Harper. And, and part of me does think there is a value of having a little bit more just overall girth at the guard spots because, again, Forsyth, yeah. not, not a huge guy. TJ Bass is a good-sized human being. Big Sala is obviously, you know, his namesake. His name pretty, is Big Sala. <laughs> pretty, big, pretty, pretty big guy. 
but you're losing some of your bigger um, interior guys and replacing them with, with smaller players in some regard. So I, I don't know. I, I'll be curious to see what we actually see from a starting lineup. But I guess if I was projecting or predicting as of this podcast right now, I kind of think we might see Harper at left and walk at right. Do you have the weights up, up, updated there, Jared? I do. I do. Uh, Stephen Jones is six foot six and 340 pounds. He's actually, I, I believe, after very quickly scanning through it, the heaviest listed person on the roster. Um, but Sala is 6'6", 330. Um, somebody like Feope Laulu is now 6'5", excuse me, 6'4", 330, or 6'7". Sorry, I, I keep, I keep misreading things. But I was going to say, he's not 6'4". That is a humongous person. So Yeah, so Jones is, is listed as the heaviest offensive lineman. Um, I'm not sure how much I buy that because they also have Taki Taimani listed at 313 or 315, and that's like the same height and weight as Marcus Harper, and I think that Sam is just a larger human than Marcus Harper. Um, both big guys, don't get me wrong, but I, I just think Taki is a larger human. And then, you know, uh, Jordan Riley is 6'5", 325. I feel like he's he's heavier than that. He's probably one of the largest bodies on the team. But overall, in terms of replacing an offensive lineman, if Stephen Jones can't make it this weekend, which I think we're all predicting here, um, it, it'll be interesting to see if they take Ryan Walk and they move him or and they want to keep Marcus Harper at home to where he's been the last two weeks. Um I mean, and, and Walk, we looked at this. He played, I think, the most snaps on offense against Eastern Washington. Clearly, he started the game, but even when the reserves came in. Um, Harper did or Walk? I think you said Walk. Sorry, Harper did. Okay. Walk didn't play any. Um, I think I think Harper played the most amount of snaps on offense because he started the game, obviously, because Walk couldn't go. And then even when the reserves came in in the second half, he was still a left guard, and he and Jackson Powers Johnson controlled the center of, of, that, of that offensive line. Um, I mean, it's interesting that both Powers Johnson and, and Marcus Harper are listed at basically the same height and weight. Um, Ryan Walk is just like 10 pounds less. Um, but I, I do agree with you, Eric. I think there's I think there is a difference between Harper and Powers Johnson and Walk in terms of the physicality and the size. Um, my one thing is that I don't know, every time we kind of underestimate what Ryan Walk can do against an opponent, he always just shows up for the moment and does well. Um, oh, yeah. All the Ohio State guys were bigger and stronger than most of the Oregon offensive linemen. Um, that didn't really matter. He was still pulling, and him and Dawson had a tremendous game there. Um, I think Oregon's just going to go with their best dudes, and maybe Marcus Harper, because of his playing time, has emerged into that. Um, and maybe if Stephen Jones were healthy to go, he still wouldn't be the starter. But uh, I think I think this is still going to be a, a, a powerful asset for Oregon going forward into this game. Uh, and to be clear, I wasn't insinuating Walk is somebody I wouldn't play because if, if Walk is healthy, you're playing him every game. Yeah, um, of course. To be clear, I, I just think it's uh, you're you're losing 25 or so pounds of weight for the other guard whoever's yeah. playing, there. and and that that's just a little bit and, and some experience. So I'm not saying they won't be really good, and I think they can absolutely win the game on the ground. We'll get to game predictions and all that stuff later. I just think it is a bit of a it, it hurts a little bit not having Stephen Jones out there on the right side. I, I look at that matchup with the offensive line um, as one of the, the bigger, I guess, driving factors in this game for me. And maybe this is our transition to just things that we're watching. Um, I don't know if we want to do offense and defense. Um, I've got an offensive one that that's the offensive line because BYU's got a pretty good rushing at, at pass rush. They've got they, – they shut down Baylor's – run game. I think they had like 87 yards um, 
in that game against BYU last week. I do think Oregon's on paper talent is better than BYU's up front along the offensive line. So I think that's in Oregon's favor here. But if Oregon's going to win this game, they need to be able to run the football because if they're going to rely on Bo Nix to sling it around 45 times, 40 times in this game, I just have my doubts against the multiple defensive fronts, the athletic linebackers that they have, that mistakes won't happen. Um, and so for me going into this one, I I, I really think you need an A, an A performance by the team, but especially by the offensive line. And they're going to have to do it without Stephen Jones. Maybe Ryan Walk is in a different position than he's normally in. Um, and you're going to have some shuffling along the offensive line and you're gonna have to do it against a really good opponent. Now, luckily for Oregon, uh, they don't have to do it with crowd noise factored in like they did against Georgia. Um, that's going to be a big factor when you have offensive line shuffles. Uh, so that will help. But I, I really think and it, it's, it, it feels like a kind of a cop out, but this is going to be a game that's going to be one in the trenches. It might, it, it, it might be BYU winning and it, you know, their defensive line and their front seven forcing because of quarterback pressures or sacks, BY, uh, Bo Nix into throwing picks. That might be like the end result, but it starts with, you know, Oregon's offensive line and their inability or their ability to protect Nix and to run the football. If, if we see uh, Oregon gave up like a, what, six tackles for loss in the run game against Eastern Washington last week. Um, if, that happens again against BYU. That's going to be tough sledding. Oregon faced a little bit more than normal third and long situations against Eastern Washington, and they just were so athletically better than BYU uh, than Eastern Washington. They were able to overcome it. You can't do that again this this week against BYU. So, for me, at least offensively, it's the, the offensive line's got to have a really good performance because if they don't, it's going to hurt the quarterback. It's going to hurt the run game, and the thing's going to fall apart. To the crowd noise part, not that it's going to be SoFi Stadium when the Chargers are at home and it's going to be a, lo a, a louder visiting contingent than the home crowd. BYU is going to travel really well. Mm -hmm. um, they always do, in part because I think we talked about this earlier. A lot of fans are people that live in the community that are part of the Mormon church are going to be rooting for BYU, are going to be in blue and white on Saturday. And I expect this to be one of the better non-conference visiting crowds we've seen at Otson in a very long time. Um, you know, when Nebraska came out here a couple of years ago, I remember that was a pretty impressive visiting crowd. Um, Michigan State had quite a bit of their own green out here about six to eight years ago. But I expect this to be a lot of BYU fans here. So I do think, not that I think the crowd noise is going to be a massive part of this, but I just think in terms of, uh, you know, not, maybe not as much to the offensive line, but just in general, be, expect that if you're an Oregon fan going to this game. Don't be surprised if it's, you know, 40,000 Oregon fans, 17, you know, 16, 17,000 BYU fans. I, I think there will be a, a lot of BYU fans at this game, you know. Um, and then my, I guess my my offensive kind of position battle of note is, is actually going to be out wide because while I do think Oregon needs to be successful running the football, I, I don't know if that'll be quite enough. And what we saw last week was BYU really just take away everything from Baylor. You know, Baylor ran for about yep. 83 yards, but I think they only threw for 137. So 
there was basically no point of success for the Bears. So to me, it's just, it's it's about these receivers who played a really nice game against Eastern Washington, but frankly, against Georgia, it didn't really help Bo Nix a lot. Bo Nix had his own faults, made a couple really poor decisions, put the balls in some tough places. But I thought if you go back and watch it, there were a lot of downs where Bo didn't have anywhere to go with the football, and that was no fault yeah. of his own. You know, and Georgia's a, you know, Georgia's a really good coverage team. They have some really, really elite talent. They might have the highest rated corner in the country in terms of who will be the top corner drafted this upcoming draft. And, you, you know, it's, it's just going to be hard to win one-on-one matchups, period, there. But I think it's really important that we, we saw Troy Franklin and Terrence Ferguson and Dante Thornton and Chase Coda and, you know, those guys, what we saw them build upon against Eastern, even take a step further this week because I think you've got to win some of those matchups out wide. And then I think another thing here that we talked about, Oregon should have the speed advantage against BYU. I think it's really important that they take advantage of what Chris Hudson and Seven McGee can provide. We've Those have been two, two games now. Those guys have barely done anything from a production mm-hmm. perspective. Chris Hudson has three catches for 10 yards. I don't have seven McGee stats in front of me, but I don't think he has more than that. Um, those are two guys we went into the season talking about how valuable they would be in the return game, but also how valuable they would be um, on screen passes, how valuable they might be um, on, on end arounds or, or you know, pl- you know, plays where you get the ball at them in space and let them go. There's been, even against Eastern, almost no success on those type of plays. I don't know how much of that is wide receiver blocking. I don't know how much of that is just the opponent, opponent, you know, identifying and, and, and diagramming what's going on and, and playing with good, um, you know, anticipation and, and staying at their spots. But it hasn't been an area where they've had hardly any success. So I think it's important for the guys out wide to win one on one on routes. But I also think it's really important to get some explosive plays from those receivers, the slot guys who, again, so much was talked about this offseason about how much of a value Seven McGee was going to be. And we haven't really seen it yet. And so much was talked about how Chris Hudson could step in and be one of those top receivers. And we haven't seen it yet. So I think those two guys in particular are, are crucial, along with, obviously, I think Franklin and Ferguson, as I wrote about on the site yesterday, um, becoming kind of the go-to guys. They need to continue that. Eric, I have oh, yeah. your stats. Uh, six total touches, 22 total yards for Seven McGee. Yeah. And I feel like most of his yards came like last last week on the ground, too. Yep. Yeah, well, got got to get more there. Need to get more there. Need to get more there. And for the end around stuff, I have kind of realized it's been a lot of perimeter blocking issues. Mm-hmm. Like when I re- yeah. rewatched the game, it just seemed like Chris Hudson or whoever was taking the end around had an option, but it just very quickly closed because one guy just got off a block. But then again, that comes down to execution. Um, and I think that, that you know this also may be a cop out, but for me, I just want to see what Oregon's offense is like against another good opponent because, you know, it it was pretty poor against Georgia at points. It fired in all cylinders against Eastern Washington. But like Matt said earlier, in those third down and longs, there were times that Oregon just out-athleted the other team and just ran around them or ran through them or whatever the case may be. They were just a better football team with better athletes and just, you know, had better plays, better players all across the board at, at every position. That might not be the case against BYU. BYU might have a guy who's better at a position or two than Oregon does. And for Kenny Dillingham in this offense, you talk about getting meaningful yards and getting guys activated and and involved in the game plan. Um, You need wide receiver separation. This all comes from what the the play calling is, what the offense looks like. 
how that translates against a, D, a BYU defense who held their opponent, a, a top 10 team, top 10 team in the country last week in Baylor to under 300 yards of total offense. Um, I know Baylor's defense was pretty damn good as well because they held BYU to under 400 yards of total offense. But again, this is a defense that is, you know, tried and true. This is a defense that performed well last season. This is one that brings back a, a, a large chunk of guys. This is a team that, I, you know, I wrote this in my prediction, which will be up on Duck Territory by the, probably by the time you're listening to this podcast. Um, yeah, there's a reason I think that Oregon interviewed Kalani Sataki for their head coaching position. I, this is a very defensive-oriented team, and this is a good defense. This is a college football playoff dark horse kind of guy. And – I think that defense is going to really come into fruition on, on Saturday. And I really am interested to see how Oregon goes about trying to beat them because if they stick to the script that they have been the, the first two games of the season, I'm not sure, but if they start to get guys in space and like Eric said, Oregon does have the athletic advantage in general, just with the speed of, of the team. If they get guys into space and try to create it like that and are able to execute their wide receiver blocks or their perimeter blocking, I like their chances more. I'm just really interested to see what Kenny Dillingham dials up for this offense going against a team that's a, a top – by the end of the season, it's probably going to look like a top 15 to top 20 defense. All right, let's take a quick break. Um, and let, let's come back with some of our game predictions from a player unit perspective, and then we'll make our, our final game picks at the end. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Um, game picks now. Uh, I think I've got the order set up where uh, offensive player prediction, offensive team prediction, and then we'll flip to the defensive side, and then we'll end it with our game picks. Um, offensive player prediction. This is multi-layered here, so so bear with me. Um, Bo Nix has not been sacked in this game. Or uh, in this season so far, I think that holds up against BYU. No sacks, and in large part because I think Bo Nix is pretty athletic. He can move. His escapability is pretty impressive. But because BYU does force him to kind of scramble out of the pocket a little bit more, speed up his play and his internal clock a little bit more, um, we're going to get the full experience with Bo Nix. In this game, um, no sacks. He's going to throw multiple interceptions. 
but he's also going to have some pretty impressive play where you're like, holy crap, that was amazing. That was really good. Why can't he do that every single time? So I'm predicting the full Bo Nix experience. No sacks, but two, at least two picks or more, uh, while also throwing at least uh, two or more touchdowns in this football game. It's going to be the full Bo Nix experience. I love it. The whole bo- the full Bo Nix. That's, that's, <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means. I think you, you made it up pretty well. I'm excited to experience it myself. I've seen it at Auburn. Um, I wanted to correct one brief stat because I was looking at the box score from last game. BYU ran for about 83 yards. Baylor ran for 152, but it was on 50 carries when we're talking about the Baylor, the BYU front against 50 Baylor. 50 carries. Good yeah, 52 wow. rushes for Baylor for 150 yards. I was just going to correct that because there might be some Baylor fans listening who are like, these guys have their stats wrong. So, because um, <laughs> I, because I, because I, I also miss when you look at the box scores and neither team ran, yeah. and you kind of miss, you confuse it. All right, I so made that gonna, mistake. So, oh, that's, and I, I followed up with doing the same one. So I wanted to correct that before we continued. All right. Um, I'm not going a Bo Nix prediction because I tried to make one in the opener, and we all know how that went. Not great. Um, I am going with the passing game here because, as I said earlier in the show, I, I do think Oregon's ability to be competitive and, and maybe win this game is going to be more dependent upon the player you just mentioned, Bo Nix, and the ability to throw the football than I think people want to expect. I think in a best-case world, Oregon runs for – 300 yards and everything's great and they don't have to have Bonex beat them and it ends up being just a hey look at this we're really great up front and Bucky Irving gets 100 yards and Byron Cardo gets 100 yards and everybody's happy and they go home going man we can really run the football our guys are so big and strong look at us I feel very confident that that won't that, that won't be the outcome this is not Eastern Washington this is BYU who has been proven the last couple of years to be a fantastic defensive football team especially in that front seven so I think this will come down to can Oregon have success throwing the football? And I guess I have my optimism glasses on right now because I have Troy Franklin 100 yards or more as a receiver in this game because I think that Oregon will be required to throw the ball to have success, to be competitive in this game, to win this game. And I think Franklin has already proven last week to be really the go-to. He's the go-to guy right now. And and I mentioned this coming into the season. If you follow Kenny Dillingham offenses and just the history of this, that ex-receiver – this is why I was so bullish on Franklin. A because he's a you know the highest rated, the second highest rated receiver recruit in program history, and he's going into his sophomore year, so there's that big jump. But the X position historically is the one that is really looked at a lot. And, and Bo Nix talked about that even a couple of days ago when he was asked about kind of like what has Troy done. He, he mentioned part of it is that's just the playbook. He's just he's just the guy who kind of is the beneficiary of those are the routes that are run to get open. And I just think Troy's going to continue to be that. I think 100 yards in this game, it might come on 10 receptions again. It might not be a huge um, yards per catch, but I expect right. Franklin to be really involved throughout, and I go 100 yards. I like that one. I've got another I got another passing game just like you two. Um, this one does include Troy Franklin, but it also includes Dante Thornton. Uh, I have those two combining for over 12 and a half catches. Um, I, I think that this is going to be – it could it could be Troy Franklin getting 10 and then Dante getting three. But I think that Dante is going to get more involved because of the you know the coming out party that Troy Franklin is is having this season and specifically had last week, where BYU might put more attention onto him. Um, Thornton, I think, is second in the team in, in reception yards total. Um, I think Chase Cota has started the last two weeks, but Dante has has finished the game with more reception yards. I think that he's a big play guy. Um, you know, Oregon has spoke all week and Dan after the game on Saturday talking about how he wants more explosive plays, bigger yard, bigger chunk plays. And I think Dante Thornton is the guy who's going to bring that to you on this offense. Um, 
So I think those two are going to hook up for 12 and a half or more total catches. Um, I, I, I agree with both you guys where you know, Oregon's offense and specifically the passing game needs to do well in order for them to pull off this upset. We're sticking with the receiver theme because my offensive team prediction is with that position group as well, um, or at, at least passing game perspective. I'm going to give myself some outs here. Um, Oregon scores four touchdowns in this game. All four are throwing touchdowns uh, hmm. by Bo Nix. Um, I'm not going to name names, but I, I I would be surprised if Troy Franklin isn't one of those four. I would be surprised if Terrence Ferguson isn't one of those four. And then the other two, it, it could be a, a hit or miss. But I, I'm calling for four touchdown passes to four different ducks uh, in this football game. The, the receivers, like Jerry just said, this this is where the, for me this is where the game is going to be won. If Oregon can throw the ball effectively, I don't see them losing because I do think they'll run the ball well against BYU. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think. What I don't know is just how efficient the the, the passing attack is going to be. If they put together good games with both with both areas of attack, it's going to be a good day for Oregon. You made it tough on yourself. Four different receivers have to catch touchdowns. I mean, you could have just said yes. four total. I mean, that's that's a no. challenge. I think both spreads it around. I mean, the offense, we've seen it spread around. I mean, and and especially in the short yardage situations, um, I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a a really deep touchdown pass in this game. It would kind of surprise me. And so when, when we see this team kind of get into that 30 and in situation, it, they, they spread it around. There's not like a clear cut, Hey, lob it up, let this guy go and get it. Um, I think the closest we see to that is, the tight end, which would be Ferguson running underneath against yeah. the grain type stuff. Um, that's how he scored his first one. And then his second one was kind of back route. Yeah. Kind of similar even. I mean, yeah, in terms of the part of the field. Yeah. No, I was giving you a hard time because, you know, I, I, I'm over 10 so far on my, uh, my Scopaldamas predictions. A lot of Ooh. them, have been, a lot of them have been, by the way, like razor thin close. And I probably could give myself partial points if I was being a generous grader, but I'm not. I got to, you know, you got to. That, that Georgia game probably <laughs> didn't do so well for you. Well, no. I was, ha- I, I don't was think ha- it did for anybody. <laughs> I was, I was, I was half a point on the over under part. So that was, a, that was a bummer. And then I was. Oh, really, that's true. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I still think. Oregon recovered a fumble against Eastern Washington where they said the player was out of bounds on replay. I still contend he wasn't out of bounds and that should have been a fumble, which would have given him three turnovers, which was my prediction. So, but I digress. I, I'm really happy that Casey Rogers to sack, which I've mentioned every podcast this week did not come into play. <laughs> not that I didn't have like a Casey Rogers will have a sack as one of my predictions. Cause that was absolutely ludicrous. That would have been a bad beat. Nate Kruger, change that. We need to, we're going to campaign against this, this, this <laughs> absolute absurdity. Okay. Um, yeah, and okay, and I, I want to say a few things before I go into this one because I'm predicting Oregon is going to score a fair amount of points here. <clears throat> um, I, I think, well, just because I know there's going to be BYU fans listening, um, there might be Oregon fans listening that are also very skeptical of this Oregon offense. Um, I, I, I think Oregon is going to have a harder time running the football than most expect, but and we'll get to it in a moment here. I also think Oregon's defense is going to play a pretty good game. And I think that they're going to give the Oregon offense some opportunities on some short fields. So I am predicting Oregon to score more points than any Pac-12 opponent scored last year against BYU. And the high last year, remember, Pac-12 won 0-5 last year against BYU. Let me give you the scores really quick, because the first four are like really similar scores. They beat Arizona on September 4th on a neutral site, 24-16. They beat Utah September 11th, 
26 to 17. They beat they beat Arizona State September 18th, 27-17. They beat Washington State in Pullman October 23rd, 21-19. So all those games were like they score in the 20s. The Pac-12 team scores in the teens. November 27th against USC, and by the way, this was a USC that team that was I think at this point had four wins because yeah, this is their this is the last yeah. game of the regular season, and they beat USC 35 to 31. So 31 points is the number I'm looking at, and I think Oregon scores more than that in this game. I think this is going to be a relatively high-scoring game. I think both teams are going to have some miscues offensively that are going to lead to some easier scoring opportunities. Um, I think Oregon will run the ball somewhat effectively, but not really. I think Oregon's going to be probably under 100 yards, and I think this is going to fall on Bo Nix, and I think this is going to be a moment where we learn a lot about him. And for some stupid reason, <laughs> and it's pretty dumb to, to put much trust in Bo Nix, I, I, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to buy into Bo Nix having a good game here. And if he doesn't, Oregon will lose this game. I think I, I really, and we talked about this with the uh, Cougar Sports Insider a couple of days ago, Jeff Hansen, and, and one of his keys was, his third key was, what is Bo Nix going to do? Because I think this game will largely come down to Oregon's ability to throw the football effectively, make good decisions. And for some reason, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm crazy over here. Um, I just, I get a sense he's going to have a good game. And I, and I, I'm not, again, I didn't, I, I stepped away from predicting specifically like he was going to throw for X number of yards or this number of touchdowns. I think he's going to probably make mistakes. And like Matt, I bet we'll get the full bow experience where there are some bad plays where the crowd might be booing him at some point. Um, the BYU fans, but the BYU fans, the BYU yeah. fans might be cheering him a lot yeah. at some point. <laughs> but I also think ultimately he's going to play well enough for for Oregon to to score more than thirty one points, which is a, probably a little above what the Vegas over underline projects. But I do think this game is going to be pretty highly scored compared to what we've seen from these BYU Pac twelve matchups historically, and even a week ago against Baylor. So I have the under. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be a high scoring game, basically at all. I think it'll be a very normal game. I think Oregon will get into the 20s. They will not be like their Pac-12 Conference of Champions uh, teammates and score underneath 20 points. So I have for my team prediction, my offensive team prediction, I have Oregon's totaling over 400 yards of offense, but I, I didn't know how to justify – or not justify, but how to define this. But I don't think they're going to do well in the red zone at all. Um, I, have, I have a hard time there just because I agree with Eric that BYU is going to be very stout against the run. And – I don't think that Oregon has performed that well inside the red zone because of the tight window passing, because of how everything closes down and this needs a more accurate passes or better play calling. And I think this is where BYU potentially makes something of like a game winning stop. I think this turns into uh, the red zone turns into an area where you know, Oregon has to settle for field goals. And I don't think this is a game that Oregon wins if they settle for field goals. Um, Overall, though, I do think that they can move the ball in, in the middle of the field. Like they've shown so often against Eastern Washington, against Georgia. When it's the middle of the field and you have both sidelines to work with, I think Knicks will do fine, and I think the offense will do okay. Um, I agree with both of you guys that this needs to be a Bo Knicks game. And if, if I think I said this earlier on this on, on this own podcast, that if, if Bo Knicks does not perform well, I don't think the rushing can save them like it has in, in weeks past and years past, frankly. Defensive player prediction now. Um, I'm going to go a combo. 
on this one. For Oregon's tackles, Jamal Hill, Bennett Williams are second and third on the team in tackles. They've combined for 18 total tackles. Justin Flo is uh, leading the team still with 12. But I think for the third straight game, this is double-layered here, third straight game, Noah Sewell doesn't lead the team in tackles, and Jamal Hill and Bennett Williams collectively – uh, they will go over 12 total tackles in this football game. Okay. Yeah, I can see it. That would be an optimistic view because that means that maybe BYU is having to throw it a little more than they'd like, right? Probably. I, I'm, I'm baking on the fact that Bennett and Jamal are so good in the run game, they're going to play close to the line of scrimmage. and One of them will every play, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that – I and then, this is just a total – tangent off of this thing here but the noah sewell thing i don't think this is as concerning as maybe fans make it out to be he's got five total tackles this season um i it was a throwaway answer at first but dan lanning was asked about sewell and just yeah i i think i think it was like blitzing or what have you and dan said we're putting him all over the place in different positions and it was like question answered done move on um i i think they're using sewell differently than we have seen the last couple of years. I think Sewell's kind of like either you go straight line right in the attack or you sit and you wait and cover up all the mistakes um, and finish off the tackle. I think that was how he was used under Mario Cristobal. And I think with Lanning, he's all over the place. We've seen him in the inside. We've seen him blitz off the edge. Um, And so I think they're just using him because he's their best player on defense all over the field which is creating opportunities for other teammates to make tackles. And that's where I think Jamal Hill and Bennett Williams will kind of show up and have 12 total tackles. The question was uh, asked by our good friend Jerry Thompson about why he's been on the weak side of the defense more. Yes. That was what specifics were. And it was an interesting question because I didn't really – it didn't really um, register as being truthful, but um, maybe it is. I'd have to go back and really watch the game a lot more to see where he's been lining up. Um, I'll I'll be curious to see this weekend if it feels like that. Mine is is not tackles related. It's tackles for loss related because I think it's imperative that that's still technically a tackle, Eric. It is, but it's a little bit it's a little <laughs> bit of a divergent from a traditional tackle because they count together. But there's also another ca- you know another column in the stat sheet right next to it, sacks, and then next to it, tackles for loss. Thank you. I, I I truly did not know how to read a box score. I well, appreciate you, that. You, you do now, and uh, think you can you checks in the mail, please. Um, no, I, you know, I, I think I think what stands out through a couple games is Oregon has just six tackles for loss in two games. Um, BYU has struggled to kind of avoid these sort of plays. South Florida gave up a boatload of points, fifty points, a bunch of yards, but still made seven tackles for loss. And Baylor, we talked about how. BYU only ran for 83 yeah. yards earlier, five tackles for loss. So they had 12 tackles for loss so far in two games this year. I think it's ripe for the pickings for Oregon to have a little more success in the backfield. Christopher Brooks, the running back for BYU, Oregon has faced him uh, several times when he was at California previously. I think we mentioned that on an earlier show. Brooks is a huge body, not a very um, explosive runner. And I think because of that, you give him the football, there are times where he's not upfield quite as quick as other players. I just think there's going to be opportunity to make some plays behind the line of scrimmage. So give me Brandon Dorless 
who has really been quiet so far this fall. Matt just mentioned Noah Sewell kind of having a quiet start. Dorless was really a central figure in kind of fall camp buzz. I and mean, he was talked about just as much as anybody else, probably along with Sewell and Flo and Christian Gonzalez. We have not heard a lot of Dorless so far to start this season. He has one tackle for loss at camp last week against Eastern Washington. Give me two or more tackles for loss for Brandon Dorless. So I think it's going to have a really big game. And I think it's imperative that Oregon has some success up front there. I have a Noah Sewell party coming. I think this is going to happen. I have. I think BYU is a team that is more traditional in how they play their offense. I don't. I, I don't think for a second that they won't try to change and try to attack the perimeter like other teams have been doing. But I think Oregon has now practiced it enough and understands that it's such a chip in the armor that they they have covered their bases with it. I think that BYU is probably going to stick to their game plan and try to attack the middle of Oregon's defense and try to ground a pound and be that physical team that they always have been. Um, I think Jaron Hall is a solid quarterback, and I think um, that they're going to try their play actions and they're going to try to take deep shots. But I think that Noah Sewell is going to get his opportunities, along with whoever else is at linebacker, to make some plays on the interior of the offensive line. Um, I have Sewell over eight and a half tackles and over one and a half tackles for loss. I'm with Eric Ooh. on the tackles for loss thing. Um, I think it could be a, a, a significant thing in this game where on both sides, frankly, for tackles for loss and how much that affects the outcome of, of a team's drive. Um, I like Sewell. I know that his name hasn't been mentioned a lot. I know that fans are very are rather discouraged by it. Um, what Matt said was is also true. They're moving Sewell throughout the defense. He drops to the defensive line every once in a while. It's a small sample size, but Oregon runs a dime package out there with Sewell on the on the defensive front uh, and the four of the four two five. Um, that and and every team has has said we're we're good with dealing with the interior of Oregon. Like we're going to go on the perimeter. We're not going to attack flow. We're not going to attack Sewell. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case this week. I, I don't think. I think BYU will try. I think they will do it periodically throughout the game to try to mix up Oregon. But I think that BYU and you know, I partially agree that they're just going to be the more physical team up front and they're just going to try to physically pound Oregon and try to run the ball. And I think Sewell is going to either show up, which I'm predicting, or somebody else on that interior linebacker spot is going to show up. And his name is probably Justin Flo in that, in that part. All right, team picks here. Um, I We're all pretty high on offensively for Oregon. Their receivers having big games or needing to have big games. Um, and just like Jared said, there's been a lot of teams that have tried or have said we're just not dealing with the, the trio of doorless Sewell and Flo in the interior. And I think BYU will try more than – what Eastern did or uh, what Georgia did. But I think in the end, if BYU is going to win this football game, it's going to be because their receivers, who are very talented, very big, will overpower Oregon's youth in the secondary at corner. Um, and I think this is a game just like BYU, for BYU's perspective. They need to throw the ball well. If Jaron Hall throws the ball well, the receivers make plays. They're going to be in a good position to win this game. And so my defensive prediction is Oregon is going to allow three BYU receivers, tight ends, or running backs, packs, catchers, three guys to go 75 or more yards through the air.
So are you operating with the expectation that Gunnar Romney and Puka Naku are playing then? Yes, I am. Okay. I'm not, I'm not sure on Romney. That, uh, Nakua, <laughs> I, I felt, you know, after talking with Jeff Hansen on yesterday's podcast, um, and for those who didn't listen, go listen to that. I thought it was one of our better podcasts with a, a guest this year and, and probably the last couple. He was great. Um, but we, we asked him about it because it's interesting. Those are, or, you know, BYU's top two receivers didn't play against Baylor. Nakua dealing with an ankle injury, that's like public knowledge. I would imagine he's probably pretty close to going. And if he does go, it's probably 85%, right? I mean, like he's not going to be 100%. I still think that's a, a, a player to worry about. Um, Romney has a kidney issue, which is like, I don't know what you're supposed to think about with that. Like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm skeptical he plays because it sounds like he might have had some sort of kidney surgery in the offseason is what Jeff was saying, and they're pretty careful with him. So not that that matters a ton in terms of – well, it probably does matter a lot, honestly, because Romney's a really good player. Yes. <laughs> um, um, but to your prediction, I guess maybe it doesn't matter that much. I just, I, I'm skeptical of Romney. I think Nakua will probably plays. Chase Roberts, uh, certainly a talented player, and they've got a couple of really good tight ends. So um, not discounting. I was just curious what your thoughts were on that because I kind of read it as I'd be surprised if Romney goes. Maybe maybe you'd be totally wrong. I just, if, if he's got some weird kidney thing going on, I could imagine this being a thing that holds him out for a while. Um, so my team defensive prediction. Again, I'm using Pac-12 games from last year as a barometer. I did it earlier. I said Oregon would score more points than any Pac-12 team did a year ago. I have BYU gaining more yards than they did on average in the five games last year. So let me read the numbers, and we'll do a little bit of math on air. I've done the math beforehand, so you can correct it in the comments if I'm wrong. But Arizona, BYU gained 368 yards. Utah, 380 Arizona State, 361. Washington State, 385. Man, these are all basically the same figure. Interesting. And then USC, 465, because USC's defense was not very good last year. That comes to a grand total. Uh, actually, I shouldn't even say the total. That comes to an average of 392 yards per game of total offense for the BYU Cougars in five games against Pac-12 teams in 2021. I think BYU surpasses the 392 yards of total offense. I think they probably get over 400 because – boy, would it be tough for me to be – I'd kind of back myself into a corner if I said 392 to 400. It's in that range. It's not going to be anything more. Um, yeah. But I, I think BYU is going to have success moving the football. Um, we'll get to my score prediction. I think a lot of points will be scored, um, and I'll kind of break down some of how I think it will play out then. But I, I do expect this is a game where there is a, quite a bit of offense, and I think it's a game where you're going to come away – maybe feeling good about certain parts of the defense and, and still really concerned about other parts. I went with a um, much less much less mathematic equation to figure this one out. I, I just have Oregon keeping BYU's offense under 400 yards, oh. mm. mostly because I think mm. it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, you'll see in my prediction, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes, as to why. Um, again, this plays into the Noah Sewell party that we're going to be having um, if, you know, Maybe if Oregon loses, but definitely if Oregon wins, if the, that Noah Sewell party is going to happen. Um, I just think that I am acting as if Gunnar Romney is not going to play and Puka Nakua is going to be limited, which is kind of what it sounds like, especially with, with, with Romney's kidney issue and then Nakua's ankle issue. Um, Chase Roberts, again, like Eric mentioned, is, a, is this excellent receiver, certainly somebody who can give Oregon a lot of issues. I'm just under the impression that this is going to be a defensive game. I, I, it might be might be Eric's idea where it's a high-scoring affair and that defense was the storyline coming in and then the offense takes over. I think defense is a storyline coming in. I think it stays that way. Um, so although I have Oregon outgaining them, 
I have, I still think that Oregon's defense is going to have some shorter fields to deal with. If you catch my drift, I think that there's going to be some turnovers. Bone, 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 Nick's turnovers? No, 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 never, never. No. Um, it's Ty Thompson. No, um, I think Ooh. that they're just gonna. <laughs> I think they're just gonna have some shorter fields to deal with. So the yardages might not see the same, and the scores may be similar. But I think that BYU is going to have shorter opportunities. So less yards, potentially more points. We'll get to our predictions in a few after the break. Another break? Another break? Yeah, yeah. It was my Mike. It was my Mike Greenberg. We had not prepared. We had not prepared for a break there, Matt. Uh, you want to send it to break or? <laughs> Let's not. Let's just roll through. Power through. All right. Uh, game picks here. I've got – this is a game where it's good on good. And I think both teams are really good. I, I think if they play in a neutral site setting, um, it could be split pretty close to 50-50 in terms of they play 10 games and it might be 6-4 to four in Oregon's advantage um, just because they have the more talented roster. Uh I think BYU is maybe a little bit more experienced at important positions. I think they've got the better quarterback in this game, but I think Oregon has the better offensive and defensive lines in this game. Um, maybe not. I, I think the offensive line is is better than BYU's for sure, but I think that the one that maybe could give you pause is the defensive line at BYU. Um, but in the end – I think we're going to – the last time a ranked opponent like this, I believe, played at Oregon, it was 2018 Washington. And it, and it's maybe one of the, the best games in the last eight years at Austin Stadium, um, 10 years at Austin Stadium. Walk-off fashion. Washington had a chance to win it in overtime and or in regulation and missed the field goal. And uh, Oregon won in walk-off fashion in the OT. I don't know if we're going to get that dramatic – of an ending in this game, but I do think Oregon goes into the fourth quarter holding a 28 to 21 lead. And there's going to be a lot of yards like Eric expects. I think it's going to be low scoring like Jared expects because there's going to be turnovers on both sides that kind of kill drives when they get into the red zone. Um, Oregon goes into the fourth quarter with the lead. BYU ties it 28, 28 with just a couple minutes to go. And I say we get the full Bo Nix experience. Uh -oh. He played bad up until this point, and then he leads a two-minute drill down the field, and we get a Camden Lewis redux against another Cougar team, game-winning short chip shot field goal from Camden Lewis like he did in 2019 against Washington State. And the Ducks walk out with a 31-28 win. They don't cover. It's three and a half. But they get the most important stat, and that's the victory. Man, that was very specific. I like it. It was, yeah. I, I also like any game that ends with Camden Lewis doing something good. I'm a huge Camden Lewis fan. <laughs> as I know Oregon fans are probably not as big of fans. If you're around this guy, he is so positive and optimistic. I'll share that. Like, we're, we're Can, I, can I add one little caveat to, to the thing? Not to of cut course. you off, but just to go in with what you're talking about. Not only does he kick the game-winning field goal, he goes and replicates his 37 over nine holes on Sunday. I was just going to bring it up. I was just going to say, <laughs> every time he runs by Matt entering practice, he lets him know. And, and Andrew Boyle, by the way, what, what did he hit, 36 or something over nine? 36, I mean, yeah. yeah. Those guys, good specialists, pretty good golfers, um, but really nice guys. And so anytime Camden can redeem himself, I, I, I'm totally for it. I think that would be a great way for this to end. 
you guys, I, I think you think I'm talking really high scoring. I'm, my score is very close to what Matt is. Um, I have Oregon winning. Oh, what? You changed your pick. No, no. I've had Oregon win the whole time. Okay. I, Remember, have, I, I have been un- operating under false pretenses. I've been thinking you, you were picking against well, them. I, I, well, I changed your pick. Did I tell you? Did I tell you earlier? I wanted to have an organic reaction to my my prediction here. Yeah, here, I, I, here it is. <laughs> it's, it's not that. I've been operating on fake news, though, Eric. So it's a fake. No, no, no fake news. I never said that. I never said that. I, I said preseason. I had I had gone BYU beating Oregon back in March, and then I switched it to Oregon beating BYU but losing to Washington State in okay. August. So I, I I've been I'm going to stick with that. I think I'm not Jared. You can do your thing in a second. Um, I have Oregon winning 35 to 30. I think it's going to be a really close game. And I really think it's going to come down to a couple things. I think there are going to be probably four or five total turnovers in this game. I think there are going to be some turnovers that are going to create short fields, which is why I still think it's going to be fairly high scoring. And I think the over, what's the over under in this game? It was like in the, it was like, it's like 58. I was going to say close to 60 is what I saw earlier in the week. I don't know how much it moved. Um, I think the over will hit. I think it's going to come down to red zone possessions, actually. And I think Oregon's going to be really good down there. And I think BYU is going to struggle down there. If you look at what they've done the last couple of years, not a very good red zone um, team. This year, they are 112th through two games. Um, Last year, they were pretty good, actually. Uh, Last year, they were 25th in the country uh, in red zone opportunities. This year, they've struggled a little bit more. And BYU last year, defensively in the red zone, 71st nationally. I think Oregon is going to convert its red zone opportunities. I think BYU will struggle to convert its red zone opportunities. I have them kicking three field goals that ultimately end up being kind of decisive in this game of, man, if we could have just put the ball in the end zone, it'd be different. I'll also say, now that I think about it, how confident we are we in the BYU kicker after he had a really tough outing last week, missed a couple opportunities that would have put the game away for, for BYU. But Either way, I, I maybe maybe it's a redemption day for kickers on both teams. Maybe Matt's prediction comes true, where Cam, Camden hits his field goals, and hey, let's give BYU some redemption too, and he hits his field goals, but they lose. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really fun football game. I'm really excited. We haven't, as Matt said earlier, had a lot of really fun Otson Stadium football games in a minute here since yeah. Mario Cristobal's first year. Um, you think back to 2019, 2020, 21. Obviously, in 2020, we were robbed of two potential classic non-conference games. Ohio State was supposed to come to town. North Dakota State was supposed to come to town. Those were going to be really – Trey Lance being the quarterback for North Dakota State. Those right. were supposed to be these really fun, marquee, home non-conference games. And then COVID hits, and we didn't get them. Those would have been, obviously, in Ohio State, a ranked team. North Dakota State would have been maybe the number one ranked team in FCS. So these would have been really competitive, exciting games. We were robbed of that. Instead, we didn't have very good home games that year at Autzen Stadium. And then even last year – um, I'm trying to think. Like, I, I feel like most of those home games were were rather boring games, or Oregon made them more exciting than they should have been. Like Fresno State and Cal come to mind as games where yeah. those aren't Arizona great. too. Yeah, Arizona too. Too at a certain until like the fourth extent. quarter. Yeah, a lot of turnovers in Arizona in that game. But regardless, like I think this is going to be one of the better games played at Otson in, in a really long time. You know, dating back to the 2018 game stands out. You know, it's funny. I was looking through the history books a little bit more. Um, the, the the time before this, this is like Oregon has all these droughts of having um, hosted ranked teams. They played Stanford a couple weeks before they, they beat Washington, also ranked seventh in the country. Blew that game. That was a really awful game. I won't even go through details. But then you have to go back to 2015, so the previous time they hosted a ranked team that was USC. Utah. 
USC. It was USC when they beat them at 48 to 28 or something like that. That was in mm-hmm. 2015, Vernon Adams, when yeah, they were kind of got – Yep, when they got rolling at the end of the season there. So they have not had a lot of big games at, at home recently. I kind of think we're going to look back in this one in a couple of years and go, like, that was one of the better games that's been played at Otson in a while. And I have Oregon winning. Yeah, this is going to be a good game. I think regardless of the outcome, I think just as a pure college football fan, I think everybody should be fascinated with this game. I think it will come down to the wire as well, like, like, like Matt mentioned. Um, I just have Oregon on the other end of the spectrum. I have them losing 28 to 24. Uh, I hate to be the party pooper, but uh, again, as you'll read on my prediction on duckterritory.com, I still have a ton, to use a PG word, a ton of questions about this Oregon team still. Um, I just I mean, So you go from being absolutely destroyed by Georgia to destroying Eastern Washington, who are the two on the most opposite ends of, ends of the spectrum in terms of talent. This is going to just prove what Oregon's going to actually look like this year. And I don't know what it's going to be because I don't think we really have an answer yet. I think Oregon's offense could be could be pretty good. I think that they have the talent and they have the offensive coordinator who can lead them to it. Um, I just don't know if they have the execution yet because, again, against Eastern Washington, great. Georgia, not so much. This is just a team that is – I wouldn't say they're, they're in the middle. I think they're closer to the Georgia end of the spectrum, but – um, this is a team that Oregon will more likely be competing against for the rest of this year than Eastern Washington. Um, their defense, you still have a bunch of question marks there. Mm-hmm. I just think that BYU is is they're more experienced, they're older just in general. They have a they have a head coach who's been there for a long time. They have an established culture of presence, and they execute well on both sides of the ball more often than not. Um, I do think it's going to be a low scoring game. Like both of you guys, I think turnovers will become an issue for both teams. I think both defenses are, are feisty. I think that they can force turnovers. I think this ultimately comes down to a combination of red zone for Oregon and the game landing on Bo Nix's shoulders. Um, and again, this could be a moment, where, like Matt said, where it's a full Bo Nix experience, where he has three interceptions through three quarters and then has two amazing touchdowns in the fourth. That could be an, an option here. I'm not going with that option. I'm going with the fact that Oregon, I think, will move the ball to the red zone, struggle, and kick field goals. And I don't think this game wins with field goals. Um, I think turnovers are going to be an issue for Oregon in terms of short fielders for, for short fieldages for BYU. I think they'll have easier scores. I think their tight end room is going to cause some real issues with Oregon's secondary. Again, the last time Oregon faced a real tight end room was Georgia, which isn't a very fair comparison, but that did provide some issues, even though that was the whole point of their of their defensive intense intensity that week was to try to limit Brock Bowers, which they did. But that also created some other issues on the on the secondary. I just I think there are still a lot of question marks. I have I think we'll all come away from this game with a better general idea of how this team is. And sadly for me, uh, that comes in a loss. I think it's just going to be BYU's just going to be too good of an opponent. I think they're ranked number 12th in the country for a reason. I know their win over Baylor was at home, and that definitely helps. I know Oregon is at home, and they don't lose non-conference games, and they don't lose games at home. Uh, I have them losing. Jared, I want just a point of clarification. How, how many field goals do you have them kicking to get to 24 points? Is it eight field goals? Is it like their only kicking? Oh, no, no, goals? I don't. No, no, no. I haven't gone through specifically the 24 points and how they okay. get it. But okay. I do think that they're going to come into like the two or three field goals where it would have been a lot better if they scored a touchdown. Gotcha. Quick question. 
um, rapid fire answer here if we agree or disagree. If Oregon didn't play Georgia week one and they oh. played Bowling Green and they won that contest 38 to 7, what would the perception you feel like be of this game? Would Oregon be like a double digit favorite? Would mm. with with the with the with the there's a lot of national media members siding with Jared here, picking against Oregon and picking BYU to win. Would that have changed any kind of perception of this game? I think the way it would, the, the, the Georgia loss happened. I think it would change some. I don't think Oregon was ever going to be a double-digit favorite. Maybe if BYU had lost to Baylor in similar to fashion right. last year, where it was two scores and they had just it weren't all that competitive, maybe Oregon right. would have been like ten points. If Oregon had in your hypothetical beat Bowling Green by four scores, five scores, whatever. Um, I think had, yeah, I think in this hypothetical where like if we say, let, let's just say BYU did beat Baylor. I, I, I think this line was always going to be one score or less Oregon favorite at home. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't see that changing much. I do think if Oregon had not played Georgia week one and like you said, beat Bowling Green by whatever score, um, more people would be picking Oregon in this game. I think a lot of people would still be picking BYU because of the momentum of beating Baylor last week, which is totally fair. And I want to make it clear to those listening, I, I, my confidence level, I can't say it's super, super high here, right? Like, I mean, I, I think this game has a, a variety of possible outcomes. Obviously, only two outcomes being one team wins, one team wins, the other team wins. But a lot of different outcomes of, of like, maybe Oregon wins by 14, maybe BYU wins by 28. I mean, I, I, I could be I, – I would be surprised if they lost by that many points, but – we just saw them get blasted by a Georgia team a couple weeks ago. And, I mean, this this is a really hard team to predict. I'm being pretty optimistic in predicting they're going to win this game. And even in doing so, I have the caveat of it being a game where BYU moves the ball effectively and just has some hard time in the red zone where they had some difficult difficulty even against Baylor, especially with those field goal tries. So that's kind of where my head's at. But, Matt, I guess to your answer your question, which you said was rapid fire, which I've now talked for like a minute. So now <laughs> – Failed to follow the rules. I don't think this game was ever going to be perceived as like Oregon was like double-digit favorites. And I, I think probably there'd be a little bit more Oregon action if Oregon had not lost to Georgia the way they did. But I also think there would have been quite a bit of BYU action one way or the other. I mean, I think I agree with Eric. I don't think this is, this game would have ever got to over like seven and a half points. I, I Here's a return question. If Oregon didn't beat the beat the the, the crap out of Eastern Washington by a million points. Would this line be minus three and a half? What if they won by three touchdowns and not yes. a million? It still would yes. have been three and a half just because yeah. of the home field advantage. I think oh. just it would have been like two, three. So I guess the answer would be technically no, but I think yeah, it'd be I think pretty it'd be close. Less. I, I don't think Oregon was ever going to be underdogs at home. And I don't think it would yeah, ever no. be a I don't think it would ever be a push, but I do think it would have been maybe one and a half to two and a half kind of range. Yes. Had your outcome taken place. Right. And this, yeah, in these hypothetical worlds, I, I still feel like, you know, it, again, I don't know how much we would know about Oregon if they just beat up on two cupcakes. Um, yeah. They, this would be their first opportunity to, to go against a real team. And, you know, sadly, Oregon had to go against the best team in the country in their first opportunity with a brand new head coach yeah. and all that good stuff. But here it is. Here's opportunity number two. I think we'll come yes. away knowing a lot more than than we know, honestly, going into this game. Um yeah, and that's that's essentially the whole basis of why I picked Oregon to lose. Jared said it best. This game will show us what we need to know, I think, for the rest of the season for 2022, what the type of year it is. Because Oregon could Oregon could get blown out. They could 
blow out BYU, or it could be a close game that goes either way. I think all of us are yeah. kind of expecting a close game either way. Um, I would be pretty disappointed if it was a blowout. Um, I guess maybe a little positive if it was in Oregon's favor, but I still I kind of want to see a good game, um, and I want to see yeah. these teams match up. Uh, and we're, we're going to see that in less than 24 hours from the time of this podcast. Hopefully you guys check out duckterritory.com leading up to the game, during the game, and certainly after the game for post-game coverage. All three of us will be there in the press box. Eric will make his season debut in Austin yeah. Stadium. Uh, and then next time you hear us, you'll be on the podcast talking post-game. And win or lose, we'll be on there talking about it, breaking it all down. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.